Well, good morning. I'm doing lots of duty this morning. I don't actually like to do a lot of duty on a Sunday morning, like singing and preaching, but uh, Gilbert's on vacation, and this is kind of the way things are working this morning, so uh, I'm glad to be with you here to share with you as we continue this series called One Prayer. And uh, we started this last week. Nate Buck shared with us his one prayer, that we be in God's Word and that we would get it. And so this morning, I'm going to continue the series. Uh, Gilbert, uh, our lead pastor here, asked us to, if we could have one prayer that we would pray that God would answer for the sake of the church of the world, what would that one prayer be? And so this morning, I'm here to share, you, share with you about my one prayer, which I like to call Holy Disruption. And so uh, the first thing on the screen here, I'm going to have him splash up, uh, is uh, a couple of images here. And uh, the one here on the far left, uh, anybody know what this thing is? Pretty common. Many of you probably have one. What is that? IPhone. Thank you, iPhone. There we got some momentum there. Great. This is an iPhone. And, and where I got this idea of holy disruption is there's this kind of this business term or kind of, uh, I don't know, entrepreneurial term called disruptive innovation. Disruptive innovation. And when something is considered an innovation that's disruptive, it means that when it comes into the market and when it comes onto the scene, it completely changes the way we've done things in the past. It completely rocks the world that we've lived in. It changes society. It impacts culture. It just makes a massive change. And so uh, iPhone is notoriously, I mean notoriously is the right word, but famously really, the the one thing uh, that we probably many of us have had or have seen someone have or have something very similar to, like I have a Samsung phone, I guess, that has radically changed the way we do our world. Like, you remember your life before your smartphone? I mean, it's completely changed the way we do everything. We check our email on there. We, we, we keep in contact with everyone we know by our, our, both our texting, our Facebook, our Twitter accounts, all of that. It's, it's completely disrupted the way we were doing things just 10 years ago. Uh, and so think about that. So it was completely disruptive. Apple comes up, Steve Jobs, and, and kind of his genius says, uh, you know, I'm going to take the smartphone, which maybe you've seen the BlackBerry before, which is kind of a complicated device, and so I'm going to simplify it, I'm going to put it out to the masses, and it's going to radically change the world. And it has. It was completely disruptive. It changed the way that complete societies live. People now walk down the street, you know, on their cell phone, tripping on stuff. You ever see that video lady falls in the water fountain because she's on her phone texting? Yeah, yeah, you know what I mean. So it's completely disrupted the way we do things. Uh, here in the middle, I have this Uber logo. And maybe uh, you have, don't use taxi transportation or anything, but here's another uh, innovation that's becoming disruptive. It's completely changing the way people are hiring rides uh, to get from one place to another. Uh, now they're just pulling up their app and pulling up a driver who's been vetted, who comes by, picks them up, takes you to your place. No longer do you have to worry about whether there's taxi service in the area or not. Uh, Uber is changing things. And then up here on this uh, top right side, anybody know what that thing is? 3D printer, very good. Uh, we have some tech-savvy people here. Now, here's something that you may not own one day, or maybe you will, but essentially, this 3D printer actually prints 3D objects. So you feed it a computer diagram, and out comes a 3D object. Right now, it's all in kind of plastic polymers. But uh, this, this printer, this device, is becoming uh, disruptive to innovation itself. Because now, you don't have to send something off to a machinist shop or anything like that. You can just have your 3D printer right in your desk. It sits there just like your current printer. You send it your CAD diagram, and off comes your part. And uh, particular fields where this is becoming disruptive are like medical fields, for example, because now we can now print medical devices right on the fly, customized to the particular patient. And so we're going to see 3D printers begin to interrupt and disrupt uh, the way we do things, whether we directly interact with them or not. So all of these are examples of disruptive technology. But this morning, uh, my one prayer is rooted in this one thought. The most disruptive event ever to have happened in human history 
was the death and resurrection of Jesus. Nothing in human history ever will be or has been as disruptive, except for maybe the return of Jesus, has been more disruptive than the cross of Jesus and his resurrection to prove that he is God in the flesh. And so my one prayer is, as, as the church, the church is we who call ourselves believers in Jesus, those of us who believe in this disruptive event, if you will, that we would be disrupted from the world's way, and this is the next point up on the screen here, and so cause holy disruption in the lives of others. As, as I look across the American church, particularly, I see that many times we've just become so like the world in so many different regards. We've, we've taken that freedom we have in Jesus to, to live freely, to become so much like the world. I just don't think we're making the impact as the church anymore. And I think it's because we've lost this idea of disruption. What does it mean that the Spirit disrupts us? What does it mean that we're saved? What does it mean that we're changed from the inside out by God's holy presence? And so this morning, I want us to wrestle with this idea of holy disruption. Because until we as, the, as individuals and collectively as a church are disrupted from the world's way, we're not going to be the disruption that Jesus has called the church to be to make a radical impact in the world and to grow the kingdom. Does that make sense to everyone so far? So we need to be world changers. So I want to take us through three, essentially three questions through this process. And that is, what is the world's way? What is the world's way? We'll take a brief look at that. Then we'll tell us to take a look at uh, why do we seem to be stuck in the world's way? We'll talk briefly about that as well. And then finally, we're going to talk about what, what should we do, uh, what can we do to be disrupted from, from just being a church that goes through the motions and just kind of gets from our own life to our own death uh, to a church that makes us a massive impact that completely disrupts culture and society itself. So that's my goal this morning. So let's go to that first question. And uh, here in, in uh, let's see, what's the scripture that's going to come up here first? 2 Corinthians 5.17. Scripture tells us, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has gone, the new has come. So Scripture tells us that if anyone is in Christ, if, you've, if you said in your life that, yes, I believe Jesus is Lord, I'm going to follow Jesus, Scripture tells us you are a new creation. We don't have to live in this old world's way anymore, but rather we're made new. But yet, in many regards, we just don't live in this new way. We still live in this old pattern. And here's what this old pattern is. Uh, here we go. We're going to look at Romans. I'm going to kind of skip around some of the verses there. I encourage you to read the book of Romans itself. There's a lot, lot in there. But here in the beginning, the Apostle Paul is going to tell us what the world's way is. because He's going to make a case for Jesus in the book of Romans. And so uh, it says they traded... Should I look at my... It'd be easier for me to look here than up there. I have, I have slides up there. It gives me, magically tells me what I need to read. <clears throat> this is, uh, so if you have a Bible with you, you can turn there. I think it's also in your program. And of course, it's up on the screen as well. And, it's, and Paul writes here, they traded the truth of God about God for a lie. So they worshiped and served the things God created instead of the creator himself. Their lives became full of every kind of wickedness and sin, greed, hate, envy, murder, quarreling, deception, malicious behavior, and gossip. They're backstabbers, haters of God, insolent, proud, and boastful. They invent new ways of sinning, and they disobey their parents. They refuse to understand, break their promises, are heartless, and have no mercy. They know God's justice requires that those who do these things deserve to die, yet they do them anyway. Worse yet, they encourage others to do them too. This is a pretty big indictment against the way the world lives, isn't it? And I'm afraid that even when I read it myself, I have to frighteningly say that I find a few things in that list that I keep 
falling back on, maybe some quarreling, maybe some gossip, maybe some malicious behavior. And I think as many of you reflect there, you realize that maybe we're following more in the pattern of the world than maybe we want to. And until we break out of this pattern of the world, we're not going to be the hands and feet of Jesus, that disruptive pattern that I believe Jesus has called us to be. The point this scripture makes to us, most importantly, I think, is that the world seeks to worship anything but God. And see, when, when God is not our main focus, if God is not our desire, the tendency really is for ourselves to become our own God. That we really want to be like God and be God's. And so we're going to do things that serve and, and, and lift our own selves up that we think in the moment is going to work. And it's really idolatry. That's what the Bible calls it. You know, typically when we think of idolatry, we sometimes imagine that old commandment, the Ten Commandments, might be for like people who are like carving little idols and, and worshiping them or something. But that's not really the case anymore because idols can be anything from love of money to the New Testament says coveting, desiring things that you really can't have is actually idolatry because it puts things in front of and before God. And I, I think this main pattern is kind of rooted in this idea that the world's going to seek to worship and want anything but God. So, so how do we break out of this pattern where we have marketing, we have all sorts of messages coming at us constantly that we should want this latest gadget, that we should want this bigger home, that we should want this better job, that we should this, that, and the other thing. How do we break out of this way of the world and get over here to where the Spirit has called us to be disruptors? How do we get out of this way that we worship kind of our own lives in, in the way that we just want to live the way we want to live and rather live the way that God has called us to live? But see, in between these two sides, there is a spiritual battle going on. And uh, here in this scripture in Galatians 5.17, we can read this as well. It says, For the sinful nature desires what is contrary to the spirit, and the spirit what is contrary to the sinful nature. They are in conflict with each other, so that you do not do what you want. There's actually a battle going on internally within you. And on this side, you have your sinful self, uh, which is kind of the way we're born, who wants to serve itself. Over here, because therefore anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation, you have the spirit within you telling you that you really ought to do one thing. And so sometimes many of you maybe have found yourself in that internal battle, this push-pull, where in one moment, uh, maybe you're, it's late at night, you're online, you're clicking some links, you're like, man, I really go for some pornography right now, and you're being pulled into this sense right here, and meanwhile, the Spirit's coming over here and saying to you, please just, just walk away from that, shut the computer down, go to bed. And so we live in this, this tendency and push and pull. Maybe some of it's alcohol for some of you. No, I just, no, I just have this one drink, I just need to relax, I'm really uptight. And meanwhile, it's really a problem for you, and you really should be listening to the Holy Spirit within you, which says, don't do it. We have this battle which wages on within us. Sometimes it's just simple lies the enemy, like, you know what? Your faith really isn't getting you anywhere. Why are you even believing this stuff? Is, is God even real? And so we have this kind of, uh, this war going on. There's this great book, great book by C.S. Lewis. He wrote The uh, Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe. Many of you probably are fully aware of that kind of famous children's book. But he actually has a bunch of uh, adult uh, uh, Christian readings. Uh, he was a, once a really a stout atheist and then became a Christian. He wrote this book called The Screwtape Letters. And, and The Screwtape Letters... It's the story between uh, this master demon named Screwtape and his apprentice demon called Wormwood. 
In the course of this book, it's a series of fictional letters. It, it describes how, how Screwtape is, is coaching and training Wormwood about how to deceive a brand new Christian, how to put lies in their head, and, and, and how to distract them, how to make that internal war go on so that the, the fellow will choose to sin and fall away from faith rather than embrace that new life in Jesus. So I, I encourage you to pick this book up. I'm not going to read anything to it about you. But uh, it's, again, it's fictional, but it it's really enlightening. C.S. Lewis has a really key uh, ability to, to give some insight maybe into some lies that maybe you've been listening to that you might find in here. Then you'll, you'll see how C.S. Lewis gives you the truth of God in that. So I encourage you to pick that book up when you have a chance. But you see that internal battle is going on. Here's another scripture which points to that. And it's in 2 Peter, uh, or 1 Peter, sorry, 1 Peter 2.11. 1 Peter 2.11 says, Keep away from worldly desires that wage war against your very souls. So the point is this, we face a constant internal battle between sin and the Spirit. And that's, that's your slide note there for your notes this morning. We face a constant internal battle between sin and the Spirit. So what do we do about that? What's the solution to that? We know that we're going to be constantly tempted and pushed into in trials here over here on the side of the world to fall in the world's pattern. And by doing that, we're not going to be the holy disruptors that God has called us to be to completely change the world and flip it on its head so that, so that people might find Jesus and find new life and find hope and that we might find evil and injustice trampled upon in the process. How do we move from there? Scripture tells us in Romans 6.6, 6, we know that our old sinful selves were crucified with Christ so that sin might lose its power in our lives. We are no longer slaves to sin. I think some of you need to hear that little last phrase one more time. We are no longer slaves to sin. I think there are many people in the Christian walk, and this is one of these lies that Satan feeds into our mind, that there's just no way we're ever going to get out of, of living in this one particular issue we have. We just constantly go back to it and commit it again and again. And whether it's gossip, or whether it's pornography, or whether it's, it's alcohol, or, or drugs, or whether it's, it's just simply just bad-mouthing and just negativity or, or, or profanity, whatever it is that we just find ourselves constantly stuck in and repeating and regurgitating time and time again, I just think sometimes we, in our, we just feel so enslaved to that, we just become hopeless and we just say, whatever, I'm just going to live the way I live and just trust the grace of God in my life in the end. That's a very dangerous place to live. Because eventually the enemy is going to feed you enough lies and he's just going to destroy your life in the process. Scripture gives us this fantastic promise here. You have been crucified with Christ. When you decided to follow Jesus, he crucified this old self. You don't have to live here anymore. Sure, we're going to have to go through times where we're going to struggle with this, no doubt. But he has crucified that. Here in uh, Exponential, we, we practice adult baptism. And a baptism is an amazing ordinance. If you haven't been baptized yet, I encourage you to, to seek that out. If you, if you believe in Jesus, you should be baptized. Don't waste time doing that. And in baptism, what we do is we take people and we dunk them down into the water. And that's symbolic of you being crucified with Jesus. You're dying to your old self. And when you come up out of the water, you're being risen again in new life. You're resurrecting with Jesus. You've been born again. You're new in Jesus. The whole act of baptism is the, 
whole sign of this holy disruption, a public declaration that I'm being disrupted by Jesus. I'm not going to live this old way. I'm going to live this new way. And so if you haven't been baptized, this might be a good first step for you this morning for holy disruption. Because uh, just going through that, that sheer act, that physical act of being baptized, will just, uh, just invigorate the Holy Spirit within you and remind you that you've been born again, and that you're raised again to new life. Another scripture which talks about this. It says, My old self has been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. So I live in this earthly body by trusting in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. We break out of our old pattern. The scripture has a nice little keynote in here by trusting in God. By trusting in God. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And so this just kind of wraps up my third point, which I've been kind of making anyway, and that is the cross disrupts our old way of sin. The cross disrupts our old way of sin. No longer do we have to live in this pattern. We can go back and say, the cross of Jesus, I, I've died the death with Jesus when I believed in him. I can be resurrected in new life even now so that I can break out of this pattern. And you trust God and trust that what God says you should do in your life is better. So instead of choosing maybe to uh, maybe go out to town with that woman who isn't your wife, which may lead you down another path, which may lead you down another path, maybe instead of choosing to do that, you're going to remember that the Holy Spirit's within you already instructing and training you. You've been crucified. You're going to set up good boundaries if that's a temptation for you and honor your marriage and say, no, uh, I better not go out tonight and have a few drinks with you. So whatever that temptation or whatever that, that struggle is with you, fill in the blank. And we're going to talk uh, specifically about some of those here in a minute. So if you don't have any ideas yet, I'm going to go, by, go through a list of what I think the world's way is and how we can interchange and we can exchange that with the fruit of the Spirit. In fact, I'll just go there now. And here in Galatians 5.22, we see that the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. As I think about the church, and I think about what I, I've heard people who, who don't like church, or people who don't want to go to church, as I, think, as I hear that their voices make critique and criticism about Christians, typically the issue is, you know, Christians are hypocrites, um, they're, they're really not. They're, they're just judgmental. And some of those things maybe are skewed because people just don't want to embrace Jesus. They know they're going to have to make some life change if they would embrace that. But some of the accusations they're flinging at us are quite true. And that's because, as I said before, as a church, we've become so comfortable here. I think a lot of it is because we just lack sometimes the courage to stand up and do the right thing at the right time because people are going to mock us. People are going to make fun of us. Uh, people are going to I don't know, backstab us, they're going to talk about us. That's a very uncomfortable. From our human psychology standpoint, we, we flee that kind of uh, uh, attack. But the truth is, is that because we've been crucified with Christ, the Holy Spirit is there to give us courage. And in fact, next week, uh, Brian Miller in his one prayer will be, will be sharing, fear not. So once again, here God, separately through three people who have not talked to each other, is orchestrating uh, this whole series of one prayer to kind of guide you through uh, how, you, how you can change your life uh, for the sake of Jesus. And so in living this way, I, we really destroy our witness to the world, and yet... 
The scripture it tells us all the different fruit of the Spirit we can live by. Imagine if, if the church and, and its everyday action was marked by love and joy and peace and patience and kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control, how much of a bigger impact you would make. I've spent years in, in churches other than this uh, where it was just infighting and people with petty issues and agendas. And, and, you, and I, you know, even I wonder, like, what is the point of this? Like, is this really the church of Jesus or is this the church of me? And so it's time for the church to stand up, the individuals. It starts at the individual level, a personal commitment to say, you know what, I'm going to bear the fruit of the Spirit. So let's take a look now. I have a a long list. I'm going to go through this uh, because I think this is important about what the fruit of the Spirit is versus what the fruit of sin is. I need to get a drink of water. I don't have to walk back here. Talk amongst yourselves for a minute. I'm parched. To sing and and preach, it's fun. So the fruit of the Spirit. So while the fruit of sin would tell us to live in, would have us live in chaos, the fruit of the Spirit would have us live in peace. So let me describe this for a little bit. If you've ever been in a situation where there's a lot of sin going on, whether that's people are being deceptive, whether there's gossip or backstabbing, whether there's maybe um, some uh, inappropriate relationships, Uh, Whatever the case, if you've been in one of those situations, you know the chaos that ensues around that. Because suddenly, relationships are broken, people are fighting with each other, what was a good relationship with someone is now broken, potentially permanently. And and I've noticed the people who who just live in the pattern of the world live in this sense of chaos. And, And the wonderful thing about the fruit of the Spirit is that even when you have to walk through chaos... Because we're not promised to, to, to have a perfect, you know, hunky-dory life as Christians. But even when you're walking through the chaos of a sinful world, as Christians, we're given this fruit called peace. So that as we're following after Jesus, as we're going God's way, we have the Holy Spirit puts in us this sense of peace. Another way thing that the world kind of lives in is a sense of anger. And, and uh, there's, there's a right kind of anger. Uh, but Scripture tells us never to go to bed angry because anger will eventually eat you up. It'll eventually consume your very heart, and it'll make you angry. It'll make you well, angry. Of course, it makes you angry, but it'll make you hateful. It'll make you rude. It'll it'll make you profane. Uh, it'll make you do things in relationships you never intended to do. But the fruit of the spirit, on the other hand, is understanding. So instead of being at conflict all the time and quarreling all the time, now we're going to try to get understanding. And the Holy Spirit, if you if you in that moment say, "Holy Spirit, help me understand what this person is going through." It's going to change your whole perspective suddenly. And when we begin doing that on a regular basis, saying, Holy Spirit, help me to, Holy Spirit, show me how to, you're going to find your old way being completely disrupted, and you're going to find yourself living in a completely radical new way. By the way, as I go through this list, I should have said this a couple, a couple of minutes ago. As we go through this list, I want you to identify two or three of these things uh, in, this, in this fruit of sin that maybe you kind of find yourself doing maybe more often than you want. I want you to jot those down. I want you to specifically work on those things. So uh, eventually these slides will go away, and these aren't on your printout. So as you see them, jot them down, uh, both sides down, and, and, and that'll be a kind of a, a next step for you, if you will. Uh, and the, one of the fruits of sin is jealousy. Uh, being jealous of what others have and what they're doing. And instead, Scripture calls us to servanthood. Jesus, you know, the, the, the King of kings and the Lord of lords, God in the flesh, gets down and, and he washes his disciples' feet. He's called us to servanthood instead of being jealous of where others are at. 
Instead of revenge, which is the world's way, like, man, that guy got, you know, like, how dare they do that to me? I'm just going to, like, give it back to them in whatever way I can. We see this a lot going on, eye for an eye kind of idea. But yet the way of the Spirit is forgiveness. This is probably uh, one of the most difficult ones. Jesus even says that uh, if you can't forgive others who have sinned against you, how can you expect God to forgive you? This is a big issue, the fruit of the Spirit. So if, if you're clinging to some old hurts and the old past about people who have hurt you, it's, it, maybe it's time for you to live by the fruit of the Spirit and say, you know what, I'm going to forgive them. That doesn't mean that you don't set up healthy boundaries so you don't get hurt again by the same thing. But what it does mean is that whatever was done in the past needs to be forgiven. You need to move on from there and seek restoration, seek new life. Another way of the world is cutthroatedness, always trying to get that next gain, that next advantage. You know, the fruit of the Spirit is humility, to say, it's not about me, it's about everyone else. It's about advancing others' lives, bringing them closer to Jesus, bringing them up. That's completely opposite to the pattern that we see in the world. Another fruit of sin is violence. And while violence may not may be physical, it could also be with our very words. Our words can be very violent at times. In fact, our words are sometimes more violent than our, than our actions. And, and the response to that in the fruit of the Spirit, and this is actually one directly out of Galatians, is gentleness. How many times have we said some biting words at our spouse when really we should have resorted to gentleness? And how many hurts do we now have in our marriage because instead of, of gentleness, we've responded with verbal violence? You know, you don't ever and you always, rather than saying, you know what, let's try to understand each other better. One of the fruits of the world is loneliness and emptiness. And that's because in the wake of all the sin that's going on, in the wake of all this crushed relationships that sin tends to create, it tends to leave us lonely and empty. But yet the way of the fruit of the Spirit is the very presence of God. So even though the things might be chaotic over here, we can always get on our knees and find our helper, find the Holy Spirit, find Jesus who is always there for us and know that the presence of God is with us. What an amazing thing that is to have at our disposal. And so often we waste that opportunity and we just kind of wallow here. Uh, like, oh, I just feel so alone in this. And yet we have the presence of God and other fellow believers, in fact. Here's a big one. Now, here's one I think probably the Christians um, struggle with equally to the world. And this idea of immediate gratification. And that's because um, our entire economic system is based upon telling you that you need something right now. You need that new phone right now. You need to go to this restaurant and have that big meal right now. You need that double Big Mac right now. You need that, that big extra large ice cream cone. And the truth of the matter is, is that, well, maybe sometimes there's nice things to have and, you know, we can glorify God that we can have opportunities to enjoy life like that. Oftentimes, though, we're giving in to this immediate gratification. We're not thinking about the consequences of things. And so while food may be a lesser of things causing bigger issues, uh, maybe something like immediately giving in to those sexual urges uh, with that wrong person who's not your spouse, or maybe you're not married yet, or maybe it's that pornography issue, or maybe it's that alcohol issue you might be struggling with. So all of those things that we just want to immediately gratify. And the fruit of the Spirit, however, right from Galatians tells us, is self-control. Imagine how disruptive we would be in a society filled with immediate gratification that here we have an entire massive number of people who believe in Jesus who all have self-control. It would bring culture to its knees. 
So you see how the church can become very disruptive just by following the fruit of the Spirit and getting out of these old patterns. Materialism goes hand in hand with this. You know, to want more stuff, like, oh, I, I need that larger house. I need that faster, uh, fancier car. And, and while God may be able to, to grant you some of these nice things so you can enjoy life and enjoy God, often our actual want of these things comes more out of a sense of materialism and greed. And, and the, the opposite of that is gratitude and generosity. My wife and I currently have been going through this process where we're, we're thinking about becoming more minimal in everything because the more you get rid of stuff, the more time you have to focus on Jesus. The less stuff I have to worry about maintaining and dealing with, the more I can focus on Jesus. The more I can be grat- have gratitude and be grateful for what God has given us. And see, the less I have to deal with, the more money and more resources I have, time and everything now, to be generous. So if the church would stop being materialistic and wanting more and more stuff, saying, you know what, this is a, this is a temporary world, we're living for an eternal kingdom. I'm going to just put away this stuff, not want any more of it, but rather be as generous and be as thankful as possible. This entire world would immediately change. If the church were to act like the, the church in Acts, where they gave up everything as they had to in order to meet the needs of the church, uh, you know, and actually, when I say the church, I mean their mission in the world to spread the gospel. Oops, I have stuff falling. Oop, put that back on. If the church would give up those things and begin to pour out that generosity, we would see so many hurts and needs. There really wouldn't be a reason to have poverty in the world if the church would stop living for themselves and their own gain and becoming radically generous. So you see how the church is missing this massive opportunity to be completely disruptive to the way of the world because we're just mindlessly, and many times, or just through the lie of the enemy, just kind of in our heads, living in this old pattern. Another one is deception. Sometimes we'll, we'll deceive people for our own gain. And of course, the opposite of that will be truthfulness. The Spirit is always calling us to be truthful and honest in our dealings. Bitterness is another fruit of, of sin that we're just get bitter about things that people have done to us. This goes, with, this goes with the whole idea of forgiveness and anger. But yet, Scripture tells us to be compassionate. That in spite of what people have done, we're going to be compassionate. We're going to be merciful. That in spite of, and the world's way is foolishness, to, to lead foolish lives and make these really foolish decisions which destroy others around us. And the, and the wisdom of the Spirit is, well, the, and the fruit of the Spirit is wisdom. Here's the irony of, of these two opposites. Scripture tells us that the world is going to see the church as being foolish. But yet, when your eyes are opened by the Holy Spirit, when you've accepted Jesus, you receive the Holy Spirit. Scripture tells us that. You have all the Holy Spirit you need. Have you ever said to yourself, I wish I just had more of the Spirit living in me. Maybe then I could live as a better Christian. You have all the Spirit that God ever wants to give you. You just need to begin to use the Spirit that's already been given you. And when you begin to follow in, the, in, in God's way, and you begin to follow this, this, left, or this, right-hand, side, this right-hand side list of all these things that, that God is calling you to do, the world's going to begin to hate you. Or they're going to begin to follow you and come into the light of Jesus. They're going to say, want what you have, or they're going to hate what you have. Jesus even tells us, tells us, the world is going to hate you because of me. And it's not you they actually hate. They're actually hating me. So a little earlier, I told you to, to be courageous as you stand here. One of the reasons we can be courageous is because while the world might express their hate toward you, they're really hating Jesus. And they're going to have to deal with that with God in their own time. So follow in the way of Jesus. People are going to think you're foolish, 
when you're not, you know, shacking up with that woman before you're married. The world's going to think you're foolish uh, when you're going to be really honest about that job promotion instead of, you know, you know lying on your resume a little bit. The world's going to think you're foolish uh, for not wanting a larger house, and you're going to actually sell the big house you have so you can live on lesser. The world's going to think you're a fool. But that's the wisdom of God. Some final terms, you know, you can think about, maybe jot these down if these are uh, true in your life. One of the fruits of sin is destructive behavior. I, I know a person uh, who, who came to the altar once, professed faith in Jesus, never really apparently took that commitment seriously. And this person has lived their entire life living a massive path of destruction because she's now lived with multiple men. Uh, she's uh, neglected her children. She's completely lost the way to following Jesus. And in the path of doing all of that, that stuff, what God calls us not to do, she's left this path of destruction where the children are hurting, they need good parents, they don't have them anymore. And maybe some of you know those people. You've seen that path of destruction which reeks out from, from a life lived apart from God. And yet the fruit of the Spirit is healing. And, and maybe you're walking on one of those paths with some family members or something this morning. Maybe you need to hear this this morning. To, to, you need to be encouraged just to be that healing presence in that situation, that maybe God is calling you in the fruit of the Spirit, and you're in the, being that disruptor, to disrupt with the word of restoration and healing, to come alongside someone and say, God has such a better plan, please come alongside, and we're going to find healing. And finally, this is probably the, the, the biggest extreme of the two, the fruit of sin is hatred, actually not loving those around us. And of course, the fruit of the Spirit is actually Agape love, that's, that's a biblical word for love, which is a, a, a whole love, uh, a love that's not jealous or envious. You go through that, there's a scripture that's often read in weddings, love is patient, love is kind, it does not envy, it does not boast. That's for everybody, that's not just for your marriage. That's agape love. So I encourage you to, to go back to Corinthians, I think that's 1 Corinthians, is that 1 Corinthians? Yes, 1 Corinthians, somebody's nodding their head, thank you. And uh, read that list again and learn what, what love means. And of course, when he describes love, he's going to describe this entire right-hand list that's the fruit of the Spirit again. So hopefully as I've gone through those items, you, you found a couple items that you're going to think about and pray about and work on. And, and here are the three ways that you're going to put this list to use and see some innovative, or innovative, interruptive, disruptive life change. First of all, in order to be disrupted by the Spirit... I need to tap into this powerful spirit of God living in me. <clears throat> As I mentioned before, when, when you decide to follow Jesus, when you decide to make Jesus the Lord of your life, he gives you all the Holy Spirit that you actually need. He actually puts a seal in your life. The very spirit of God comes into your life to guide you and direct you. He doesn't take you over. You have to willingly, moment by moment, yield control of yourself to the Holy Spirit. And the more you do that, the more you tap into the Holy Spirit living in you, you're going to let that voice of God convince you that this way is not the way to go. And it begins by doing something like this. You're going through a situation, or you're looking at that list I've given you this morning, like, Lord, I have a really bad problem with bad-mouthing. And so you get down on your knees, and you say, Holy Spirit, help me to have words of encouragement to others. Help me to be less bitter and be more compassionate. And just by starting with that prayer, and just by starting with that conscious idea and, and allowing the Holy Spirit to work within you, you're going to begin seeing your old pattern change. But so often we live in this old pattern and we just don't even bother to pray for ourselves. Or we don't even ask others to pray for us. 
Which brings me to my second point. I'm going to skip past the scripture there. It's a thing that's printed in your bulletin. You can read a scripture there that talks about tapping into the Spirit. In order to be disrupted by the Spirit, I need to give other believers permission to speak into my life. Here at Exponential Church, uh, we believe, uh, or we, we try to have life groups because we believe that as you gather in small groups, you're able to create smaller communities, so you're able to deal with life's issues together in a, in a way that you can actually speak deeply into each other's lives. And maybe you're in a life group and that's going, going well for you, and I encourage you to continue making use of that life group, continue building trust relationships in that life group so that you can spur one another on. As Scripture tells us, it's iron sharpens iron, so a friend sharpens a friend. I, I have up here this, this thing. That's why I didn't sit down this morning. I don't want to hurt myself. I have a sharpening steel here, right? I, I, if you don't know anything about me, I, I love to cook. I, I love to cook. But one of the things about be cooking a lot is I also have to have really sharp knives. I cannot cook with a dull knife. It drives me bonkers. So I use this thing all the time. And what, I, what you do is you just take your, your kitchen knife and you just uh, rub this, the blade along this sharpening steel and it sharpens the knife. And, and you would think logically, that if you rub metal on metal, that it would just dull the thing, right? But in fact, there are these little uh, grooves in here which, which sharpen your knife up so you can cleanly cut through your tomatoes so you can have fantastic sandwiches, for example. So that's a great, that's a great visual example. So next time you, if you use a sharpening steel, just think as iron sharpens iron, so a friend sharpens a friend. You need to give other believers permission to speak into your life. Maybe this is a, a spiritual mentor you have. Maybe it's that life group. But until you give people permission to speak into your life, you're going to be missing things. There's this, this thing called the Yohari window. I don't know if you've heard of the Yohari window before. It's a psychological term. Um, anyway, imagine, if you will, this, this, uh, imagine a, 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 an intersection like this, and there, there are four blocks in the Yohari window, okay? And in this column are things that I know about myself. And in this column are things that others know about me. And over here uh, is the same. So we get to this first, uh, what would it be for you? This uh, north, uh, northwest, northwest box. These are things I know about myself and that others know about me as well. So things that you fully understand about yourself and others also know about yourself. It's kind of an honesty window. And these are typically the things that uh, we can still work on. So if there's some, some worldly patterns in here, you know about them, others know about them, you can spur one another on to know about them. Over here, on the other hand, we have things that I know about myself, but the others don't know about me, up here in this northeast quadrant. Things that I know about myself, but I haven't told anyone else, because I'm either too embarrassed to say it, maybe I'm just not honest enough with myself to really want to reveal it, maybe I just don't have somebody I trust enough to say it. And, and so the, really, this is the one big quadrant I want us to work uh, as we go through and try to break out of this pattern and become holy disruptors, is, is that have other people come alongside us and tell us, hey, uh, be honest with people, like, I have this problem, please help me through it. Here's the other quadrant. The southwest corner are things that others know about me, but I don't know about myself. And this is the most revealing thing that takes a lot of um, humility to let others speak into, because when people begin telling you that, uh, hey, you have a problem with blah, 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 and you're giving them permission to say that, it can be really hurtful at first. But unless you get to the point in, in your maturity in Jesus to actually begin to deal with some of these issues, uh, you're not going to see the life change that maybe you've been wanting for a while. Let others speak into your life. Give somebody a trust relationship. Ask them to be gentle. Okay? 
And then down here in this other window, this is the hardest one to deal with. This is things that are true about you, but you don't know about them about yourself, and others don't know them about yourself. And the only way to really get into this window is through the Holy Spirit leading you. That's tapping into the Holy Spirit, which is what my first way to do was. So you can see uh, how the Yuhari window, things I know, things I don't know, things others know, things others don't know, can kind of help you work your way through uh, tapping into the Spirit. The final way that the Holy Spirit can disrupt our lives uh, is in order to be disrupted, I need to read the Word of God every day. And this is essentially what Nate was getting at last week, that we get it, that we'd open the Word of God and that we get it. And here's where he's beginning to see that, that, that thread that God kind of wove apart from all of us speakers together. Scripture tells us in, in Romans 12 too, do not be conformed any longer to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. See, until you're in God's Word and reading God's truth on a regular basis, your mind is not going to be transformed as often as it needs to be. You're constantly being bombarded by messages uh, from, from others, from coworkers, from peers, from billboards, from commercials, you name it, to tell you how you ought to live your life. But there's only one real way that we ought to live our life as described here. And so until you're transforming your mind by being in here and reading, and that you're, you're seeking to get it, to have your mind opened, you're not going to see that disruption that, that the church is called to be. Scripture also tells us that, uh, what's that scripture there? I had it down here. <clears throat> oh, yes, here it is. Hebrews 4.12. His powerful word is sharp as a surgeon's scalpel, cutting through everything, whether doubt or defense, laying us open to listen and obey. Nothing and no one is impervious to God's word. We can't get away from it no matter what. As you get into God's word, as you begin to read some of the truths of Scripture, you're going to find yourself laid bare open. And you have a choice in that moment then to just kind of stuff it in the back of your mind, ignore it, and go on with your day. Or to begin to deal with it. To begin to tap into the power of the Holy Spirit and say, you know what? I really need to begin to change the way I'm living in this situation. To be in the Word of God every day. Gilbert has, has used this illustration many of times in talking about how we're transformed. And it's it's really a uh, very uh, useful way of, of transforming our minds. And that is that our, our thinking leads to certain behaviors, which then leads to certain outcomes. So if you want different outcomes in your life, you can't just change your behaviors because you're going to keep falling back on old behaviors. You have to go a step before that. You have to begin to change your thinking, which then leads to different behaviors, which then leads to different outcomes. What you didn't know is that this is a popular psychological th uh, thing called cognitive behavioral therapy. This is actually proved scientifically. They've done tests. They've proven this works. Behold, Romans 12, 2 told it to us 2,000 years ago. Be renewed by transforming your mind. And then 40 years ago, some psychologists say, hey, if we change our thinking, we'll change our outcomes. So this is proven. Not only is it proven in Scripture, it's also proven through some scientific studies on psychology. If you change your thinking, you'll change your behaviors and you'll change your outcomes. You're going to cognitively change the way you think about something. I encourage you to be in God's Word every single day. So I, I've covered a lot of ground this morning. And I want to bring it back to essentially, you know, that, that, the key essence of my one prayer. And it's this. If we're not disrupted individually as a church, if we're not living out the fruit of the Spirit, if we're not being the hands and feet of Jesus as He's called us to, and, and you've seen some ways this morning how if we would live the Spirit's way, we would be so transformed that the world would just be rocked to its core. 
And so until we as individuals and collectively as a church are, are being disrupted by the Holy Spirit and changing the way we're living, until we get to that point, we're not going to be that disruptive force that Jesus has called us to be in the world. If Jesus is the most disruptive person, and if the, if the cross and the resurrection is the most disruptive event, and the church who he's called to proclaim that to the world isn't being disrupted itself by it, how are we ever going to carry the message of Jesus forward? As I said before, the, world, the world's going to hate us when we follow after Jesus, or they're going to be drawn to us. And if you're not evoking one of those two responses as a church, if, if people are either hating us or, or being drawn to us simultaneously, we're probably not doing something right. A lot of churches have now chosen, uh, instead of being hated, that they're going to compromise their beliefs. They're going to compromise the Word of God. They're going to change uh, what it says uh, so that people feel more comfortable with who Jesus is. But Jesus was very specific. The world is going to hate me. He knows what he said was disruptive. He knows what he said was going to be so challenging that people are going to be rocked off their boat and they're going to be really mad about it. We need to stop compromising what God's word says and realize that if we, we, we embrace that, if we tap into that spirit and say, you know what, I'm going to go God's way. I'm going to trust God because he said we can trust him. He's given us promise after promise about how if we live his way, we're going to find peace and we're going to find joy and we're going to find the real life that we're going to become a massive disruptive force. So I encourage you, Exponential Church, together with me as well, because I have volumes on this list too that I have jotted down that I need to pray through and tap into the Holy Spirit. I need to work through to join me that we can be disrupted. So in order to see exponential growth, in order to be the exponential that, that, that we have the vision to become, we have to become disruptive so that we can become the big disruptive force in not only Harrisburg, but in the entire world. Will you join me in prayer? Father God, we just give you just great thanks that in your love for us, you sent your Spirit. For thousands of years before Jesus, you gave your people the law, and they were required to live by the law, but you did not pour out your Spirit upon them, and so they failed time and time again. They knew what way was the right way to follow after you, but they had no helper. And yet, the great thing about Jesus is that when he died on the cross and, and rose again, he sent his very Spirit to, to be the hands and, and the prompter and the helper to the church so that no longer do we have to guess at how to serve you. No longer do we have to guess how we can live a best life for you. But rather, by being listening to the Spirit within our lives, by being in your Word, which is the Spirit constantly speaking through the ancient words, by listening to those Christian counselors around us who you've also prompted through your Holy Spirit to speak to us, that we can begin to disrupt our lives. I pray, Father, that as we, we look at those different things that we're still struggling with, that in every one of those things, Father, you just replace those things with the fruit of your Spirit, that we can become uh, a true disruptors, that you will rock us to the core of who we are, so that we can be the church you've called us to be. And if there's anyone here this morning who maybe just feel like they're still just slaves the old way, stuck there, never able to get out. I just pray this morning that they would know that the cross of Jesus is here this morning waiting for them. That they can put their faith in you and they can find their sins forgiven. No longer do they have to live in this old pattern, but we all be running the race which you've called us to 
We can all begin to live for you and see the world change around us. Help us in these days in a culture which calls us to compromise our beliefs, to stand firm, and to be disrupted, and to disrupt the world around us. We pray all these things in the great name of Jesus. Amen.